What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about being overlooked. Nobody likes to be overlooked. Nobody likes to be dismissed. And I think the Bible has some guidance on this that can help us as we go through our life. I will do. Keep my family in your prayers as my grandmother, my dad's mother, is coming to the end of her life on earth. Will do. Will do. John Exum, I will definitely keep your family in our prayers. Diana Harden says, third time's a charm. <laughs> Good deal. All right. We have a sponsor, and we would like for you, if you have a congregation, if you're a part of a congregation that has an upcoming event, please tell them about Lindsay Faye, Doc, Lindsay Faye Dotson. Um, we have somebody. Okay, first off, before I go any further, hello, Paul Owusi. Um, let me let me get this chat here. Are we saved by works or faith? Um. There is nothing. Now I'm I'm going to treat this question as a little bit antagonistic. Not that I'm thinking. Not that I'm saying you're antagonistic or adversarial. But when when a question like that is asked, I think it shows a a fundamental misunderstanding of the. And if you'll forgive me for sounding pompous, it shows a fundamental misunderstanding of the rich tapestry that is holy writ. There is nothing alone that we are saved by. I am saved by works. I am saved by faith. I am saved by baptism. I am saved by grace. I'm saved by belief. I'm saved by action. I'm saved by calling on the name of the Lord. There is, on Substack, there is uh, an article where I actually address this and how nothing alone saves. So, um I would I would love to talk to you more about that, and if you could maybe reword your question in a way that gets deeper into what you're actually wanting to know. So, and again, I, I don't know who you are because it just says Facebook user, and I, I'm just with I, I just I'm not I'm not going to say well we're saved by works because that would imply we're saved by works to the exclusion of faith, and then I'm not going to say we're saved by faith because that implies we're saved by faith to the exclusion of works, just like I wouldn't say, well, baptism saves us without putting that in its context, because that implies that we're saved regardless of the, um, regardless of baptism or no, sorry, regardless of repentance. So do we have to be baptized? Oh, that's easy. The answer is yes. And, and the funny thing is anybody that's honest with scripture, it doesn't matter from what particular bend of Christendom you hail. An honest Bible scholar is going to read the Bible, and they are going to come away with the necessity of baptism. Now, there is some deep and theolo- there's some theologically deep conversation that needs to be had about exactly what baptism is, when to do it, what it does, and all of that good stuff. But any honest Bible scholar 
will not leave the Bible and say, well, I don't have to be baptized and I can still be right in the eyes of God. The end of Galatians 3, there's a simple mathematic formula. How many people are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus? The same number of people who have been baptized into Christ, the same number of people who have put on Christ. You cannot put on Christ. You cannot be in Christ, and you cannot be a child of God in Christ Jesus through faith in Christ Jesus if you haven't been baptized. Hope that answers your question. Galatians 3, go read it. All right, and I hope that's not a gotcha question. I hope you're not just coming in and saying, oh, well, I got him. No, if I mean, I'm, I answered your question in good faith. I hope you treat it in good faith. And to keep in mind, I don't know who you are. It just says Facebook user. All right. Back to Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your sponsorship, Lindsay Faye Dotson. Are you a part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to take advantage or make your, ah, don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Faydotson today, and I promise you she will do a better job on your flyer than I did on her ad read. All right. Good deal, Lucille. Let's get right into the podcast. Nobody likes to be overlooked. So I wrote an article, Being Overlooked, a Scriptural and Practical Exploration. And sometimes, you know, I've had I've I've been putting out so many articles lately, and I've just never done that in the past. People say, Well, Tony, what's your secret? How come you how can you put out how can you find even the bright ideas for all of these articles that you write? Folks, I steal them. I mean, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, YouTube, I, I steal the ideas. I hope you think, I hope that's okay with you. Um, so let me tell you where I got this idea for this article. Um, incidentally on the, on the screen now, uh, search the Facebook group Christianity now. And I would love to have some people in there that would be interested in helping us grow that. I need moderators and admins or just admins. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, I'm having trouble figuring out how to get it linked up with restream. Uh, I really wish that I was streaming in restream, uh, streaming restream in the Christianity now Facebook group, but it's a public group. It's not going to be like the, we talk truth group was in its heyday where it's heavily curated, heavily moderated. It's still going to be moderated pretty good, but it's not going to be quite as curated. But anyway, join the Christianity now Facebook group. And be sure to subscribe to our Christianity Now Substack. I read, or saw rather, a TikTok about a man playing a violin in a subway station, I think in New York City. It doesn't matter. A subway station. And he was playing on a violin that cost more than a million dollars. I'm going to say that again. He was playing on a violin that cost more than a million dollars and he had the case. I mean, he looked like a bum playing because he wasn't in, he wasn't in concert clothes or anything like that. 
He just had his case out. It was open and he had a place where people, the passersby could give donations. And I think he got, got 30 or 40 bucks for several hours of playing violin, which quite frankly, if you're able to play the violin and you need some money, you go to a place where people gather and play. And if you get 30 or 40 bucks in three or four hours, I think you've had a pretty good day. However, that afternoon or later that evening, he put on a concert in some grand concert hall and it was something with prestige. Now I'm not in that circle, so I don't remember, but maybe it was like the Dale Carnegie. It was, it was Carnegie hall or something like that. And he played the same violin. He played the same set. And I think 2,500 or 3000 people were in attendance. The concert hall was full. And their ticket price was like around $100 per ticket. And the point is, in order for you to actually shine, you have to be in the proper environment. And so I come up with this, you know, being overlooked. Nobody likes to be overlooked. And if you feel like you're getting overlooked all the time, you may need to change environments. It's It's not a bad deal. All right. Being overlooked, I'm going to read the article and offer some commentary. And uh, yeah, the concept of being underappreciated in one setting and valued in another is a phenomenon that touches various facets of life from personal relationships to personal uh, professional environments, and indeed, even in religious communities. Often, the worth of an individual becomes evident when observed in different con- in a different context or role. Such experiences find resonance in scripture and offer vital life lessons. So we're going to focus on what the scripture and the life lessons are. But now let me tell you something before we go forward. I want to tell you about my introduction to the Greenfield Church of Christ in Greenfield, Tennessee. Before my family and I placed membership at the Greenfield Church of Christ in Greenfield, Tennessee, I was staunchly opposed to large congregations, not 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 them existing but of me being a part of them. I wanted to be a part of a congregation that was 20, 30, 40 members strong. And I thought it was because of the size, but it kind of is because of the size. But let me explain. Whenever I went to Greenfield, my family and I, that Sunday, and this was back in like 2011, 2012, I can't remember. 2012, I think. Luther, uh, Luther Neblet took us on a two cent tour. He was so loving and caring and he was so concerned with our spiritual well being. And it turns out he was one of the elders. He is one of the elders. Excuse me. I'm, it's, uh, I'm assuming he's still one of the elders there. And You know, quite frankly, we decided to make sure that that was the place we were going to place membership, but it was like a 200 and something member congregation, which to us was very, very big. However, the Greenfield Church of Christ has very, very, very good leadership. They were served by a plurality of elders and a panel of deacons, and everybody was friendly. They had good boundaries. In other words, they didn't pester you, but they were friendly, approachable, and maybe maybe I'll see if I can do a podcast with my wife where we can talk about how healthy boundaries is needful 
whenever people are coming to visit a congregation because you don't want to overwhelm them. Um, you want to give them time to ease in. It's it's kind of like if a man at, if if a man uh, asks a woman out on a date and she says yes, and then at the restaurant where they they go to he takes her to dinner, he proposes marriage to her on the first date. Like, ooh, no, 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 that's, you're coming on too strong. Well, so we don't want to do that. So Greenfield was a perfect. I didn't understand what I was looking at at the time, but the Greenfield Church of Christ is a very good example of a congregation of the Lord's people that have not denominated from that pure and simple name. They are not a religiously or spiritually codependent congregation. And I didn't have that nomenclature at the time. I just had gut feeling. And I really enjoyed the vibes of the Greenfield Church of Christ. And one of the reasons why we placed membership there was because of Luther Neblet. And the funny thing is that one decision that that good elder in the Lord's church made, or, or that one that, that, that was influenced by that good elder of the Lord's church has shaped my life and my wife's life and my children's life. Like you, you can't, we, we, there, there's no telling what we would be without that one interaction. But the Greenfield Church of Christ is an amazing congregation, but it is very, very large. And I, I realized because the Greenfield Church of Christ, the eldership immediately started using me. They started letting me lead singing. They started letting me teach Bible class. Uh, anything that I wanted to do, they, they were like, yes, let's go. And it was not an aversion to large congregations that I had. I just wanted to be useful. I just wanted to be useful. I am Bits and Willie from Kalamunga Church of Christ Congregation in Uganda. Thank you very much for uh, being here, Willie. And uh, appreciate you. Appreciate those good that good feedback. So it wasn't a large congregation that I had an aversion to. It was not being useful. I didn't want to get lost in the crowd. And I'm not talking about an arrogant way where I wanted to be up in front of everybody doing something. I just wanted to be useful. And I found at smaller congregations up until the Greenfield Church of Christ, it was much easier for me to come in and be useful. And so as you go through your Christian walk, if you find yourself at a huge congregation and you're feeling like you're not plugged in and you're feeling like nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. Don't leave to go to a small congregation. Go to the leadership, go to the elders and say, hey, listen, I'm having some feelings that I know aren't based in reality. I feel like I'm not wanted here. I feel like I'm not useful here. And I want you to use me. What I want, I want, I want us to have meetings every week where uh, we can sit down and we can talk and we can um, figure out what kind of talents that I have that I can give to the local congregation. You know, maybe, maybe I'm really, really good at um, upkeep. So, I, so you can use me as a maintenance person. Or, you know, maybe I can take pride in the auditorium and I can make sure that, 
you know, the, the auditorium is dusted and vacuumed, or maybe as a male, you know, I can lead singing. I can wait on the Lord's table. I can lead public prayers. Maybe I can teach a, a, a Bible class, or if I'm a woman, maybe I can teach a ladies Bible class or lead a ladies Bible discussion. Just use me. So it doesn't matter if it's a large congregation or a small congregation before you actually change your environment, dig in and be the best you can be where you are and go to the leadership and be like, Hey, I want you to use me. What can I do? Here am I send me as it were. Um, this is Wayne. Good deal. Good morning. Good morning there, Wayne. I think that, I think I know what your last name is, Wayne, but I'm, I think that I, there's a couple of Waynes that listen to me. You don't have to say your last name. You just, just good morning and good to see you. Um, all right, <clears throat> let's keep going. So Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet without honor. In one of the most poignant examples, we turn to the book of Mark chapter six, verses four and five. Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth only to face skepticism from the very people who should have known him best. The locals question his teachings and authority reducing him to nothing more than a carpenter. Jesus comments on the irony of this, stating, a prophet is not without honor, but is, but in his own country. I had such a long soliloquy there. Did Have we already read this? We already covered it. Anyway, um, and among his own kin in his own house. So a prophet is not without honor, except when he's back home, except when he's in his own house amongst his own people. Well, consequently, his capacity to carry out his divine work becomes limited a direct as a direct result of their disbelief. This the happenings in Nazareth teach us that sometimes our closest circles may not be the best judges of our capabilities. So it could be that if you're at a local congregation and you don't feel plugged in and you don't feel like you belong, it could be that you're not doing the work that you need to do to make yourself valuable that might be why you're not getting the recognition you feel you deserve. And I'm not talking about prideful, ungodly, prideful recognition. I'm talking about godly recognition. I mean, I don't know about you, but at the end of my life or on the day of judgment, excuse me, on the day of judgment, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. I want those words of affirmation. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, is it? I mean, we all want to, if I got something going on with the camera, nope, everything should be good. All right. So the, the, the idea with this is if you're not feeling like you're getting the recognition that you deserve, double down and keep doing the work at the local congregation, but then go to the elders and say, Hey, here's what I've been doing. I would like to do more. What can we do to leverage this even more? Or is there something else I could be doing? I want to be useful. And that's it. I mean, that's that's a wonderful thing. Now, if it is the case that they are like, well, I, we, we think that's a dumb thing, or we don't really value that here, or something like that, it may be that you are without honor. It may be that, that you need to go somewhere else. But please don't do that first. Please don't do that without exhausting all of the avenues that you can to make yourself available to grow the local congregation where you are. 
I've said this before, and I even wrote an article about it, not to keep shamelessly plugging Substack. But if, if of all the reasons that has ever been given for folks to leave one sound congregation to go to another, if you would just come back, and as cliche as this sounds, if you would just come back and quote-unquote be the change you'd like to see in others, then a lot of these congregations would, would not perish. All right. Let's talk about the parable of the talents, the talents, unearned, unearthed potential. Uh, so the parable of the talents in the gospel, according to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, highlights the impact of mindset and environment on potential. The first two servants, guided by a proactive approach, invest their talents and double them. Now, talents are money. They use the opportunities presented by their environment to enhance their resources. In contrast, the third servant's fearful mindset leads him to bury his talent. His self-limiting behavior results in loss, over showing the importance of both mindset and environment in realizing potential. So it may be that if you're not living up to your full potential, if you're not realizing your potential, it might not be because of your environment. It may be because of your mindset. So you would need to change your mindset before you. In fact, I suggest work on your mindset before you work on your environment. So the parable teaches us that actively engaging with opportunities and adopting a constructive mindset can unlock untapped capabilities while a passive or negative approach can lead to loss or stagnation. And that's the problem I see in many churches with many individuals they get this feeling of being underappreciated, so they shut down. And I mean, think about in the parable of the talents. You've got five, four, one. Or wait a second, five, two, one. Uh oh. Y'all? All right, Matthew 25, 14. How many talents did the middleman have? <laughs> why, why am I. Oh, that's a terrible. All right. For the kingdom of heaven is of the man traveling to a far country who called his own servant and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, and to another he gave two. Two talents. So think about one servant gets five talents. All right. Thank you, Diana Harden. One one servant gets five talents. Then the next servant gets two. And you the, the servant that got two could be like, well, well, what's the deal? How come he gets preferential treatment? How come he gets more than me? Do you not appreciate him or do you not appreciate me like you appreciate him? What's the deal with that? So he could have done that and he could have very well buried his talent in the dirt, just like the one talent man, but he didn't, he didn't, he just watered and grew where he was and he doubled his talent to four. Well. This parable teaches us that actively engaging with opportunities and adopting a constructive mindset can unlock, can unlock untapped capabilities, while passive or, or a negative approach can lead to loss or stagnation. The two-talent man could have gone either way. He could have gone the way of the one-talent man, and nobody on earth would have blamed him. But he didn't. He chose the positive route. 
He said, I'm not going to put my talent in the dirt. I don't have an unhealthy sense of self-worth or lack thereof. I'm going to deal with what God gave me and I'm going to work and I'm going to let the results speak for themselves. So no, he didn't bring 10 talents to the master at the end. He only brought four because he had two. Everybody doubled theirs except the one talent man. Anyway, we need to be like this. If you're in a congregation where you feel overlooked or you don't feel appreciated, it may be because you're comparing yourself to other people who are doing more work than you, or quite frankly, and this is not popular, who are more talented and more suited to the task than you. Here's the thing. Think about this. This is a novel idea, and I've seen it happen at the local level, and I've seen it be very successful. You ever know a congregation down the road from another congregation? One congregation is maybe 150, 200 members strong, and another congregation is, you know, 30 or 40 members strong, but the one that's 30 or 40 members strong doesn't have anybody that's qualified to be elders, but the congregation of a couple hundred, 150 has a multiplicity of men that are qualified to be elders but are not elders. What if that one congregation goes to the other and says, hey, you have a multiplicity of men that are able to be elders, but you don't need them. We need them. We would like to approach them and ask them to be an elder, be a member of the congregation where we are, which is just right down the road, and we want them to shepherd the flock here. Now, you, there, there's some things you've got to be careful of, but remember, don't fall prey to the slippery slope fallacy. I brought this up one time in a men's business meeting when I was younger, and I was ridiculed for it, but I'm just like, all of the, all of the objections you have to this are stupid. They're not, they're not based in reality. They're just, well, it's a slippery slope. And like, no, it's, the slopes are slippery, we understand, but if we, if we stay within the boundary of God's word, then the, then the slope, it doesn't matter if the slope is slippery because we'll never get on the slope. So we're going to make sure that these men are members of the congregation. We're going to give it some time. We're going to let the congregation get to know them and they get to know the congregation. And then we're going to set it up to where they're the elders of the church there. And they're not a satellite congregation of the bigger one. Nobody would think that. And if it ever starts to be that way, then we have to make some choices and make some pivots. But you can't just object to that saying, well, slippery slope. No, that's not right. Hello, Jason, Jason Goldtrap. Good to see you. So back to, uh, back to the article. Uh, remember if, if you're, if you're not feeling recognized and you're not, and you're feeling overlooked and like you're useless where you are, Start doing the work that you're able to do, but if, if you're not needed, then think about changing locations. Think about changing environments. I'm telling you, I, I don't. it would be very, very hard for me to remain faithful if I wasn't really, really working in the local congregation, if I wasn't doing podcasts and stuff like that, if I didn't have anything to make me sit down at my study desk and study. It would be very hard for me to do it. That's that, that's just the way I'm built. I think that's part of what Paul meant when he said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. 
Well, I feel the same sentiment, and I'm assuming it's because if I didn't have that responsibility, if I didn't have that scriptural calling in that way, then it would be very easy for me to stagnate and I could become the one-talent man instead of the two-talent or the four-talent. Ted Hook Knight says, amen. I always, that's, that's, I've always uh, cherished those amens from, from folks such as Ted Knight. Now, Paul's guidance, reaping the harvest, switching our focus to life application. The advice of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, 9, is noteworthy. So th- this is, if you're feeling like you're a one-talent man, this section of this article is for you. And by almighty God in heaven, it's, it's for me as well. Because, y'all, I'm a little bit neurotic. I'm not the most mentally healthy person you've ever met. I mean, I, I prayed that God in my early days would give me exactly what I needed, and he gave me a wife who is a professional therapist and has a degree in English. So she, so she, you just, just do with that what you will. I needed that, okay? Anyway, switching on focus. That wasn't near as funny as I'm responding to it as. All right. Switching our focus to life application. Paul, chapter 6, verse 9 of Galatians. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. While you may find yourself in situations where your abilities are not acknowledged, it is crucial to to persevere. Continued diligence in your task will eventually lead to the opportunities you seek. Never underestimate the power of not giving up. I think about a foolish sitcom called Frasier that was on in the 90s. I loved it. My favorite character was Niles Crane. And I think you could probably, in good conscience, go back and watch all these episodes. Although, understand, they they aired on the 90s and the 90s. It was a time in, in network television where you could kind of get away with some. Anyway, just, just watch at your own risk, okay? But Niles Crane was a very diminutive, somewhat effeminate psychologist. However, he's probably one of the more masculine, manly men, just in a non-traditional sense. In other words, he's not broad shoulder, six foot two. 265 pounds of solid muscle with a big burly beard and a booming voice. But he had a set of morals, a set of ethics, a set of principles. And he would change those as easy as you wanted to. You just had to kill him to make him do it. You see where I went there? Yes, Niles Crane was a character on Frasier. Um, so Niles Crane, it was kind of like the joke that's told about Daniel and the lion's den. Do you know why the lions didn't eat Daniel? It's because there wasn't anything to him but backbone. Niles Crane was a diminutive man, but he had a backbone the size of a sequoia. In other words, you could not get him to compromise his values. 
You could not get him to compromise his morals. He's going to make you kill him. Never underestimate the, the, formidable, the formidable nature of a person who's willing to die for their beliefs. It made Niles Crane a very formidable individual, a very masculine. I think the masculine trait. Now, what's that got to do with the podcast? Diligence. You do you. In fact, there's a passage of scripture in Proverbs that I read quite often. And I could probably, I haven't, I haven't tried to memorize it, but I've read it so much, I could probably quote it. Let's read it together. Boy, I sure am glad the Lord has blessed me with this camera. I sold that microphone and I was able to purchase this camera. It is so much better than the other one I have. Now I can have this overhead light on. It still looks good. And I can read, I can read my Bible really easily. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. A stone is heavy and the sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, or but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now here, here's the here's the crux. This is what I want us to focus on. The full soul loatheth the honeycomb. Now, have have you ever have you ever eaten something that you don't particularly like, but you happen to be famished? I ain't gonna lie to you. I work a whole lot more with my brain now than I do with my body. But back whenever I was, was working secular work and I was working very, very hard with my body, I would get ravenously hungry. And I remember eating certain things because they were available and because I was hungry that I didn't particularly care for very much. But, the, but that broccoli, those Brussels sprouts, oh, they tasted mighty fine when you were really, really hungry. Kind of, kind of funny how that works, isn't it? Well, the full soul, even something as sweet as honeycomb, the full soul doesn't like it. If you ever eat something till you're sick of it, even if it's good, I remember at Snappy Tomato Pizza Company in O'Bion in Weekly County, Tennessee, they had this pizza called the S'mores Pizza. And I told the waitress one time whenever we was in there, I said, you know, just once I'd like to eat so much of this S'mores Pizza till I got sick of it. I just want to know what that's like. And you know that heifer, I shouldn't say, sorry, we had such a good relationship. That, that young woman, sometimes my humor can be pretty rough. That young woman with whom I had developed a rapport, a good enough rapport that we could send a little bit of few jabs back and forth to one another. She took that as a personal challenge and she just kept putting those s'mores pizzas out. And I ate a lot of them. And you know, I eventually did get sick of it. And it didn't take quite as much as I thought. I remember taking a bite of it and just kind of working it back and forth in my mouth. I didn't really want to swallow it. Well, the full soul loatheth an honeycomb. But if you're hungry, every bitter thing you come across is sweet. As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wanders from his place. Folks, 
learn the lesson here of, of Galatians 6 verse 9. Don't be weary in well-doing. Understand, and if you, if you, you will reap in due season if you don't give up. If you are so desirous of accolades of man, you'll either quit work, you'll quit doing the work because you're not getting the external motivation, or you will enter into a, a very codependent relationship that is very toxic and harms you in the long run because you are loathing or you are desirous of that honeycomb and you're going to eat so much of it that makes you sick. I think about the children of Israel whenever they wanted meat and they had, they had quail running out their nose. Don't be the one-talent man. The one-talent man probably desired all the accolades and the recognition of the two-talent and the five-talent, but his motivation was so external to the point where he it caused a freeze point. So if your motivation is all external and you want the earthly accolades, then it's possible that you give up the work because you enter into a freeze point. or you might be motivated to do more than what God wants you to do. And then you will forget your place. And you know what happens to a little bitty baby bird that forgets his place. It wanders from the nest and falls onto the forest floor. And either the impact kills it or a predator comes along and eats it. Absolutely. Ted Knight, uh, Ted says, you're talking about one of my favorite subjects. We must not quit. And I will tell you something else. Almost without mitigation, any type of internal motivation that you can draw on to keep you putting one foot in front of the other is good and holy. Now I'm not talking about, you know, well, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep working out in the gym so I can kill this person that that harmed me. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about don't be weary in well-doing. Any kind of internal motivation that keeps you doing good and keeps you doing God's will. Folks, I mean, would it, would it make you think any less of me if I told you that there have been times, even in the year 2023, that the only reason I got out of bed and went to worship service and preached that morning is because I knew if I didn't, I would be letting other people down? And I would be sinning against God, and I don't want to go to hell. Now, those moments pass. They're fleeting. But that's the, that's the internal motivation that I used, or I guess that would be external motivation. That's the motivation that I drew upon. Now, 90% of the time, I do what I do because of internal motivation. I get a, I get a, I get a sense of satisfaction. I get a sense of accomplishment. Um, I get a sense of peace and, and joy when I do the Lord's work. But that 10%'s rough, y'all. Have you been in the 10%? If you have, I think Galatians 6, 9 is for you. Just keep on keeping on. All right, here's the conclusion. Being overlooked or undervalued can be discouraging. 
but it is an experience that is common to many, including biblical figures, including Jesus our Lord. Whether it's Jesus in Nazareth, the diligent servants in the parable of the talents, or Paul encouraging the Galatians, Scripture provides examples and guidelines on navigating such situations. Therefore, maintaining integrity, diligence, and faith becomes vital. After all, the true value of a person often becomes apparent when viewed in the right light or environment. So if you find yourself overlooked, remember that your due season may simply be waiting at another table. In other words, maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Go find something different to do. Go, you know, if you, again, if you're an evangelist and you keep door knocking a certain part of town and you just keep having doors slammed in your face, go to a different part of town. I told you yesterday in yesterday's podcast, I shared with you a little confession. I do not like door knocking in the rich part of town. I want to go to the slums, the ghettos, the trailer parks, the inner city. I want to go to the poor parts of town. I want to go to the quote unquote other side of the tracks. I want to go where people actually need something. And it's just me. But that, that keeps in the same vein. Like you have to have the ability to revamp and, and rethink what you're doing. I use this illustration a lot. Y'all tell me whether or not it makes sense. If you've got a job of work to do, and that job is chopping down a tree, and the only tool you have is a spoon, how long are you going to try to chop down the tree with the spoon before you eventually go back to the drawer? If you are willing to change and change tactics when something isn't working, you will eventually keep trying something that does work until you work your way through every implement in the drawer and you finally go to the tool shed and you find an axe. Be willing to pivot, be willing to change, be willing to recalibrate and reassess the situation and make the proper changes. If you feel like you're being overlooked, there is no temptation that is overtaking you but such as is common to man. Don't read intentions into folks overlooking you. Just understand that you might not be in the environment where folks can really see your value. So make the proper changes. Now, that doesn't mean I want you to go to the congregation down the road. I want you to make the, I want you to make the changes we talked about earlier in the podcast. Go to the leadership. Explain to them, hey, here's what I'm good at and here's what I'd like to do. But is there something based on my skill set that you can put me to work doing? And I promise you, you will feel rewarded. You will feel uh, validated. You will feel appreciated. And I think that's all I've got. Folks, I really appreciate uh, your tuning in. I pray that you'll be the algorithm for us. Like, subscribe, and share wherever. Be sure and follow Substack and, and li- li- listen, not listen, uh, read. I was, what do you do with your eyes? You read the articles there, share the articles, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate every one of you. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. And uh, be sure and subscribe on to Cogitations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Podbean. And folks, we'll catch you 
on the flip side.